Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. We don't always swear, but when we do, it's on podcasts. Please listen responsibly. Welcome to the Reading Circle Temple. I'm Sandry. I'm Briar. <laughs> I'm Tris. And I'm Daja. <laughs> and today we're talking about chapter 12 of Brittany's book. So grab your cup of coffee. Or tea. Or your drink of choice. And let's break down some barriers. How does this chapter start? The co- the adults come back and, and they're not talking to the kids and they hardly eat and the kids want to keep trying to tell them about lightning and like, not right now, leave us alone. They have a conversation and they send the kids upstairs and then start having serious conversations about... They're basically talking about how the defense is going and how they're attacking and how the whole situation is looking, yeah. which is not good. There's a mention that Anahara likes to like capture other mages and use their magic. They're all kind of nervous about that. Yeah, they have uh, counter mage spells weaved into his stuff. They're talking about possibly getting the kids out of there because they're worried for them. And the kids are like, no, this is our home. They are not about that life. They are not down for that. Which brings us to the what are you doing up there? We're just frisking like little lambkins. <laughs> Frisk quietly. I'm gonna say that is my favorite part. We're not to favorites yet. The kids start talking about what they can or can't do, and Tris wants to go and destroy pirates. And they're like, "No, this is dangerous. We have to be strategic about this nonsense." And then she's like, "Well, I have to pee." They're like, <laughs> "Okay, fine, go pee." And then she runs away to go fight pirates. So they all jump out the window and they chase after her and she gets up on the wall. They find her on the wall. She pins somebody against the wall with some wind. She is pissed. People killed my cousin. She runs my home. They're going to die. While she's walking to the wall, she keeps telling herself all this stuff that keeps making herself angry. She's like, I'm going to use this anger to kill some pirates. She was working herself up on purpose because she yeah. knew that it was tied to her emotions. The other kids show up and she uses their circle or the idea of their circle to block everybody out. It's like a reverse magic circle. 
when Tris first gets up onto the wall, before the other kids get there, she has a wall of lightning around herself. And then whenever the other kids get there, they just walk through the lightning wall. And she's like, that didn't hurt y'all. And they're like, uh, no, our magic's connected, duh. She puts her wall down and Sandra builds a better wall around them. And they fuck shit up. Because they are all pissed. And you do not mess with a nine-year-old with tanks. Tris created a whirlwind that was 30 feet tall. And she had it going in the brambles. So it had like brambles and wind. And then she sent it out to the pirate. Slam it against that magical barrier. They break through the magical barrier, right? Eventually. Tris by herself, no. But whenever the other kids show up with her, they're all scanning it. And Briar finds a weak point and he marks it. And then they throw themselves into the whirlwind and it spins, 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 spins and shoots them out right into that point. And they do that again and it And I kind of imagine it as like anime show where they've got person jumping through the air in action pose and just lines behind them. This is the first time we really see her to control. Mm -hmm. Actually really control her magic, because even with the lightning, she couldn't completely control it. It's there at the end. It was a reaction rather than an actual thought out thing. That's kind of like how Briar said. Uh, she needs to have good motivation to be able to control her abilities. Mm-hmm. And, and she, she has found one. it. Yeah, exactly. And then once they get through the barrier, the kids split apart and start doing their own thing. Briar is regrowing all the brambles that him and Rose Thorn had made in a previous chapter because the pirates were burning all of them down to be able to go ashore. And then Daja is pulling all the metal out of all the ships, like the nails and everything. And so the ships are just crumbling on themselves. Triss summons the lightning ball that she had left back near their bodies and used it to destroy the flagship. Yeah. So she kills the pirate queen. Gnarly. Sometimes she doesn't puke. She's all about that. Well, she's pretty pissed off. Part one of our three-step reading process is reading like a novice. This is where we talk about what we liked and didn't like about this chapter. What did you guys like and not like about this chapter? I have several, like always. Like always. Like, like always. Brittany is the reader of the group. My first one is when the adults and all the kids upstairs Frostpine appears at the bottom of the stairs and he's like, we would appreciate it if you would go into one of the rooms and not eavesdrop. And Tris is like, fuck you, I'm going to eavesdrop anyway. And she does. Bitch, fuck me. (laughs) (laughs) And then the next one is after they hear the adults say that the kids need to be evacuated and Tris starts going crazy and tries to go out the window to go ahead and start fighting the pirates. And Sandria and Daja pull her back in and they're trying to reason with her. And then at some point, Sandria gives up reasoning with Tris and then just sits on her. And so I'm just imagining 
she was sprawled out on the floor and Sandra just sitting on her just continuing to have a conversation like this is what we need to do and Tris flailing around trying to get up from underneath her and Sandra just calmly still having a conversation that was hilarious. Which, let's be honest, is very standard. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. The next part is when they finally let Tris up, Briar tells Tris that she looks like a bush. <laughs> very funny. Brutally honest Briar at his Yes. <laughs> so she grumbles <laughs> and puts on a scarf and like, whatever. I got really, She grumbled, but she didn't deny it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My last one, finally, is after Tris is already taken off, the kids are going after her, and I was just like, when I catch her, I am going to give her a pounding. She is the most aggravating girl I have ever met. Apart from you, she told Sandry. <laughs> I love and, that so much. And once again, Sandry doesn't deny she's, it. She's like, yeah, you're, you're right. I'm pretty aggravating. Might, might have a point. I think Sandry is often purposefully aggravating. She knows how to use her aggravation to her to yes, Briar also. They yes. both know how to say, use yeah. aggravation to their advantage. They are very good at it. To quote one just Goodwin, Sandry is a savage. Actually, I think it was Sandry is such a savage. Yeah, I think that's that's what it was. And I will stand by that. <laughs> My favorite part in this chapter is Sandry says they're treating us like children and Briar says we are kids and Tris responds but if we're mages are we kids and this idea has come up several times in the book that the difference between being a child and being a mage and so for them in a way being a mage is sort of a marker of adulthood they're kind of talking about wanting to be a part of this discussion because it affects them also, which I think is a very good point to make. And I think that we sometimes discount that with kids. But also what really strikes me is that there's an element of control there. If they really are mages and they're going to be mages and act as mages, then they have to, in a sense, stop acting like kids. And that, I think, for them comes, especially Tris, with control, being able to use their power constructively and purposefully and not just unleash it randomly. They can't be lashing out, Tris specifically, lashing out with her powers. I, and- I agree, but I also feel like if she hadn't lashed out or all of the kids together lashing out, they probably would have figured out how to destroy the barrier for the pirates and there'd be a lot more damage. I think there's a balance there. So I think to some degree, when adults treat kids like kids, it is you don't have the control or the process of mind to be able to handle this in a constructive way. And as a result, you could get very, very hurt. And if they're going to take on, if they're going to take on the sort of responsibility that comes with being part of that conversation, then they have to be willing to take on the responsibility that comes with having control and being constructive about it. Now, in this case, I think that 
the adults could have pulled them into that conversation and it could have been an even more constructive one and they could have said like okay you have this ability and this is how we can use it to our advantage and still been able to break the barrier but also been able to protect the kids it kind of goes both ways because the kids have been trying to say like hey we have this thing to tell you and it would have gone differently or may have gone differently if they had just been like yes tell us and the fact that they're pushing them away Mm -hmm. is like they have their reasons but it's not a good idea (laughs) and that's sort of why the kids lash out and we see how destructive we have already seen how destructive that can be I guess maybe there's a sense of we have to start including kids in the adult conversation, which they have been doing at times in this book. And so I think that's one of the problems that the kids are struggling with is that sometimes they are being treated as adults in the sense of like Frostpine says, Daja, will you come on me on this incredibly dangerous mission? But then at other times they're like, no, you're kids, you're going to get hurt. So stay here. And I think a lot of it goes back to that honesty, them being open with the kids and listening to them and then being honest about what you know and what your concerns are. I think in this case, yes, they have a reason to be concerned for the kids' safety, but they can also directly say that, look, you haven't known your mages for very long. You are incredibly powerful. We are worried that you could get hurt and we don't want that to happen. But I think in some regards, the kids have a right to defend their home, yeah. even if they're 10. It really is a weird situation because the adults really don't know where the limits of these kids' power is. Sure, they realize that when Daja helped repair the sea chain and activate it, that was one thing. But I don't think that they believe that even with their powers combined, they'd be able to do something like break a protective shield across an entire assaulting pirate fleet. That just seems like a whole different power level than what they know the kids have. So it definitely is a different situation where it's hard to combine what is in the book with real life. It is a difficult thing to kind of compare the two because it really is a different situation. These kids' abilities are far and beyond, I think, anything these other mages have seen especially from children. I guess I feel like there's this element of not underestimating children, which I feel like we sometimes do too much in our society in general. Granted, I haven't worked with 10-year-olds a whole lot. When I think about my kids, they're 15, 16, and it's easier to see how we underestimate teenagers and they're almost adults, but we don't really give them the chance to be adults. But I guess maybe one thing that could be said is they're struggling with this in-between of are we kids or are we mages? And they can't be mages if they will not be treated like mages. And being mages is put separately against being a kid. If you are a mage, you're no longer a kid because you are dealing with so much power and you have to be able to do that responsibly. If they are always treated like children, then they will never learn how to be mages. Very true. Right, who's next? I guess there are two things that I liked in this chapter. One was the one true pairing of Nico plus Moonstream forever. 
they stole a smooch in front of everyone. Whoa, I was not expecting that. I don't know if that was foreshadowed somewhere else or something, but that kind of caught me off guard. I don't even remember that. And I've read this book multiple times. She kisses him on the cheek. So now all I can picture is a tree in the courtyard with Nico and Moonstream's initials with a heart around it. (laughs) That was cute. The second thing was when the kids left their bodies and go to the shield and they're looking for weak spots in the shield, each one looked at weaknesses that would be related to what they know. So Sandry, while looking at the shield, looked for changes in the weave of it. Daja looked for rust. Triss looked for storm centers. Meanwhile, Briar, being the streetwise child that he is, felt around and poked around and looked beyond just what he could see to see if there were any traps around. And I thought that was just super neat. They all looked at the same thing, but they took different approaches to it. I just thought that was super cool. I think it's really interesting how that, as well as the bit where Briar is getting into Amory's stuff, shows that Briar is aware of magic and kind of knows something about how it works. Yet in Sandry's book, he keeps insisting, no, I don't have magic. That's priest stuff. That's bag stuff. He knows it exists and he knows how it works, but it's this upper echelon of society thing. It's not an everywhere sort of thing. I've always thought that his outlook on magic is interesting. It's it's very pragmatic. He looks at magic in the way that he's lived his life and kind of how the real world works. It's not so much theory like it would be at an academy or winding temple. It's more about how can I defeat this magic using a common sense way that he's done before in person. See, that's something I've always really liked about Briar in general is he is good at what he does, regardless if he should be good at what he does or not. And so unlike the other kids, he has a lot of real world application of magic. Triss is aware of magic and the people around her that have it. Sandry knows kind of before anybody else that she might have the ability but prior to that it's oh well she doesn't really deal with it on a first person basis obviously with Daja she's completely aware but it's the same kind of thing as there's no real first person doing it herself and so with Briar going through and Obviously, knowing how magical traps and stuff work on items, I think that with his firsthand experience of magic itself, I love that because it's very realistic. Street rats definitely would have much more experience than really anybody else. His approach is so different compared to the other three. And I think that does stem from real life experience. I know I've already talked about my favorite part, like little lambkins. It just <laughs> it makes me so happy because it's such a smart ass reply. <laughs> and me being who you are, most, like I do also have some very <laughs> smart ass snarky responses when people ask me stupid questions. 
This makes me very excited for Sandry and Briar to be living in the same place and getting to know each other because I feel like Sandry is pretty good at the snarky replies herself, but her game, she's going to level up (laughs) just from interacting with Briar. They're in a competition at that point. (laughs) Who can be most smart-ass? Which I feel like you see reflected in that scene in Sandry's book where he's tickling her on the roof and she attacks him back. The other part I really like, Goodwin actually touched on, I genuinely enjoy the different perspectives on trying to get in through the barrier between all four of them. Because it's, it's a reminder about the different places they've come from they all address it in a way that they're familiar and they can break through while also being comfortable with it. That part always amuses me in a sense because it's always a nod back to how different they are regardless if they're connected or not. I also really like that passage because it also reminds me of this podcast all four of us have a different perspective of the chapter that we read each week. And it's interesting to see the different aspects that we each pull out of the book as well. I also like your point, Brittany. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, Cause I love how there are some chapters where one person will be like, um, the theme that I pulled out was fear. And the next person will say, well, I pulled out the theme of courage. <laughs> or happiness or. Yeah. Little opposites, like oh, power okay. of friendship. <laughs> yeah, and then and then there are other chapters where one person is like, "I pulled out the theme of community," and then the next person will be like, "Me too," and then the other two will be like, "Yep, yep, you basically said everything." Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, 
Part two, reading like a dedicate. This is where we talk about a theme or a message that we found in the chapter. What theme or message did you find in the chapter? Let's find out how different they are this week. Revenge. She is very fueled by revenge. She's going to the wall, talking to herself. This makes me mad. This makes me mad. This makes me mad. I'm going to kill some fucking pirates because they killed my cousin. They're trying to destroy my home. They're trying to get rid of me. No, I'm not doing this no more. I've got to kill these bastards. You say that and you mention Triss, but at the same time, you have Briar who's had interactions with pirates in how cruel and hateful they can be. Daja knows how pirates have trashed other trader ships that different families that they interact with. So she knows also firsthand how awful they can be. And even Sandry knows kind of how it is. So I like that you bring up Triss. But the addition is the other three also not nearly as strongly as Tris, but all four of them have a sense of revenge. And I know that in earlier chapters where they're with Briar and Rosethorn growing the brambles and stuff, Briar feeds all of that into it. Yeah. And then the kids kick Rosethorn out. They also kind of add that fuel to the fire. Very good point, Brittany. And Triss's progression in the book has a lot to do with her finally feeling like she has a family and she has a home, which she's never really had before. But Briar is going through something similar. And then Daja and Sandra, probably to a little bit less of a degree because they've had family and a home before. But recently they've lost those things to a degree that they don't have a place where they belong. They're all kind of going through this needing a place to belong And one of the things I like about that is they don't really have to talk to each other about it. I think Triss and Briar especially are like terrified of losing this only home that they've ever had. And Daja and Sandri just understand that because they have gotten to know them well enough. The other side of that is with Sandri and Daja is even though they had the family, they never quite fit in. Because yeah. if you look at Dodge, she was always fascinated with the metalworking. Her family's like, nah, you can't do that. That's not what we do. And so she was not necessarily outcasted, but she never fully felt like she belonged. And same with Sandria. Sandria wasn't like most of the other nobles. And even her parents were kind of for lack of a better term, airheaded and selfish. And we realize Sandry's not like that, regardless if she's snarky and throws around her weight whenever she can. She is very loving and very accepting and is like, you're going to be my friend because I like you and you don't get an option. So the theme that I pulled out, I mentioned this in Sandry's book, but it reminds me of the experience of immigrants. I guess one of the things that really struck me was somewhere in the story, there's something about not waking up from a clock, but from the explosions overhead. And then also that idea of these kids so fiercely wanting to defend their new home. And just from what I know of what my own students have gone through, 
the reasons that they left the countries that they were born in and their feelings about living in the United States is really reflected in that. I guess the thing is, I want more people to understand that this is the kind of experience that people go through and this is the reason that they immigrate. If we had a better understanding of that, then maybe we would have more compassion for immigrants and uh, they would be able to, I don't really want to say assimilate because I don't quite like the idea of assimilation in the sense of, I don't feel like my kids should have to sacrifice their language and their culture that they come with, integrate perhaps into our society and be able to blend those things. That's my ESL message of the day. The theme that I found was prioritization. When Nico and the rest of the adults are in the cabin talking, uh, the kids overhear about how they're going to be moved out and kind of secreted away from the temple for their safety. Clearly, that's something that you would do if you're under attack. If you have a way to get your sick and your children and then the elderly out, you'll, you'll do it. Prioritize their safety while you try to defend what you can. The other examples that I found were that when all the kids finally break through the barrier, Briar, instead of going straight for the ships that are directly in front of him, he kind of turns around and notices that there's an entire pirate landing party where the brambles that he helped make on the beach, they were all landing there. So he goes over there and attacks them since they are kind of the most immediate threat to the temple. And I thought that was kind of a smart thing to do as opposed to attacking these boats that they're definitely a threat, but they're not as close to the people that you care about as these pirates that are landing on the beaches. I thought that was a real interesting thing to see. And we all know that Briar is kind of a realist about stuff, so interesting to see him kind of take everything into his head and see that the ships aren't the most important thing right then. The most important thing is helping the people that he can along on the beach. Also, when Triss is looking for Enahar on the ships, she doesn't just start randomly smacking at the ships. She specifically goes and tries to find the one that is most likely to carry Anahar. So she finds that flagship, the ship with two flags, that's the biggest and has the most mages, and she just wrecks the shit out of it, which I thought was <laughs> amazing. I know I've used this one before. I tend to use this one a lot, especially in this book. But the theme of kids are mages, that, that is definitely kind of an overarching theme of the whole book but it's another one especially after you have the conversation in which the adults are like you're not a part of this you need to go somewhere else and not listen in we have to talk about adult stuff but at the same time they are also treated as adults in some occasions I feel Tris brings up a point is sometimes there is no reason for them to be kids at one point and then at the other considered mages. Yes, they are both. Yes, there are responsibilities that kids shouldn't take on in being a mage. Sometimes I don't think these kids realize that they are children and they very well and very easily can get hurt or killed in some of the situations they get in. I think because a lot of children don't realize that. That is definitely true. But well, they all recognize that they are both. 
and the adults kind of flip-flop between one or the other. And yes, they're children. They don't quite understand how dangerous it is, but they're also mages, so they're also understanding that the responsibilities that come with it require them to sacrifice them being children sometimes. I think one of the parts in this book where the adults do the best job of treating the students as children and mages simultaneously is when Frostpine asks Daja to help him repair the chain because he tells her very honestly and straightforwardly what all of the dangers are going to be, what their protections are, and then he gives her the choice. And he says, this is why you would be useful to come on this mission. This is why it is dangerous. These are all of the ways in which we will protect you. But if you do not want to come because it is dangerous, then you have that right. And I think that's a good way of, he recognizes she's a mage by treating her honestly and inviting her to come, but he also recognizes her as a child by telling her that it's okay if she's scared. I think Lark does a really good job as well with Sandry when Sandry wants to do the magical weaving and Lark is upfront about, this is why I don't want you to do it by yourself because it can be very dangerous. And I want to make sure that you don't get killed doing this because people have died. She's treating her as a mage in that honesty, but recognizing like you are still a child and you are untrained. Thus, I have very good reasons for making this decision. But she's not just saying like, well, you're a kid, so you have to do what I say. I think Lark is the best at that because we kind of see throughout the book is Lark's the one who consistently is like, I understand that you want to do this. And yes, you might have the power to do it, but this is why you shouldn't do it. I really feel like Frostpine is really good at it too. Frostpine is really good at it. I wonder if age has anything to do with it because I know that we've talked about their ages somewhat. I'm not sure how old Frostpine is. I think Indy, she thinks Lark's probably in like her late 20s, maybe early 30s. Rose Thorn is maybe in her later 30s. And Nico's 53. We know that. I wonder if because Lark has more recently been a child and had that experience, it's easier for her to connect to what the kids are feeling and so she can say okay I understand that this is what you're experiencing but on my end I also understand this and that is why I'm making this decision and I don't know if that is a factor or not but I wonder. There's a point in which it's mentioned that Frostpine has done something for roughly 15 years so that would feasibly put him in his 30s between 30s and 40s so I think that's also kind of got something to do with it like as far as what he understands I bet their upbringing has something to do with it too we know Lark was a circus person right 
She's done so much. <laughs> She's met a lot of different people. And so she probably has some experience with people who have different points of view, dealing with conflict and having to take that moment where you have to think about how is the person on the other side of this problem thinking about it. So I could see that definitely contributing to the way in which she interacts with the students. I, I don't know about it being about age because I feel like Frostpine does a really good job of it too. And he was described as being an older man. I feel like it has more to do with maybe experience. Then again, we don't really know a whole lot about their backgrounds. We know more so about Lark's background than we do Frostpine's. Well, we know that Frostpine has Kirel as an apprentice and it's possible that he's had other apprentices. So I could see that being the case that he's worked a lot with younger people. And I know he also said that he had a friend that died from overusing magic. I feel like Rose Thorn is pretty close to the same age as Lark. And she's still pretty thorny with the kids and treats them more like kids than Lark does. Granted, I think Rose Thorn treats most people like kids. This is fair. As we see when they call all the dedicates up and she kind of glances over and she's like, nope, not going to go there. Moonstream, how's it hanging? (laughs) Or maybe it's Skyfire that she goes to talk to. But regardless, she's like, I don't want to deal with them. They're all acting like children. Come, Briar, we're going to talk to the one sensible person on this wall. Hey, Reading Circle novices and dedicates, it's Molly here. We're almost done with Triss's book, and that means it's time for a new Sacred Reading giveaway. If you would like to win a Sacred Reading kit, including a copy of the next book in the series, a journal, a carrying case, a quilt to read it under, and some Winding Circle-inspired teas, then leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or contact us on our social media pages. You can tweet us at Reading Temple or tag Reading Circle Temple on Facebook, Instagram, or Tumblr. Tell us how reading The Circle of Magic has affected you, and you'll be automatically entered for a chance to win our Season 3 Sacred Reading Kit. Can I just say something real quick? If they ain't got vines, they ain't worth your times. (laughs) Thank you, Goodwin. That's how Rose Thorne feels. That's her motto. It's popped into my head. Part 3 is Reading Like a Mage. This is where we use the text to craft magic in our own lives. What magic can you craft out of this chapter? As a plant person, I really appreciate that. Mine has a lot to do with what we've already been talking about. Honesty and how we treat children. I felt like the adults in this chapter could have behaved better and could have at least told the kid, this is why we're worried. This is why we think you could get hurt. This is why we're making the decisions we're making. And it reminds me a lot of some of my own experiences as a child dealing with teachers. I had this one teacher who was really amazing. I think it was the bush Carey election was coming up. There were just a lot of opinionated people in this class. And so one day our teacher was just like, you know what? We're not going to do math today. We're going to have a debate. He let the class divide itself up and he didn't really contribute anything himself. He just facilitated to make sure that we didn't explode on each other. And 
He let us take the period to debate all of the hot button issues that were going on. And because we were old enough to kind of understand what was going on and to have opinions about it, but we weren't old enough to actually vote. He was like, well, here is your opportunity to like express your ideas and have this more adult moment. That was really awesome. And that always stuck with me. It also reminds me of a story I heard about a teacher who worked at a military base and there was something that had happened. So all of the kids were super worried. And so he just put the lesson to the side and said, okay, let's talk about this and gave the kids that moment to deal with real life. I had to deal with that back in February and March with coronavirus. And I had kids who would say, can we have a day where we just talk about what's going on? And I was like, yeah, sure. And the cool thing about that was I didn't really have to do a lot other than facilitate because there were kids in my class who didn't know anything about what was going on and were really worried. But there were other students who were more informed than I was. And so they were able to just lead this discussion and inform the other kids about this is what's going on. This is what you can do about it. This is how likely it is that you'll get it. This is what'll probably happen if you get it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so I just, I want to be more like that where I bring my kids into those conversations where I recognize, okay, this is something that we consider part of the adult world but it's obviously affecting you. It's obviously a concern for you. And so let's take the time to actually like talk about it and bring you into that adult world. And then the other thing, it's kind of loosely connected, I guess, because it's kind of about dealing with emotions. Because I think the reason the adults behave the way they do is that they are so worried that they don't want to get the kids involved and they let that more negative emotions affect them. And then the kids, especially Tris, is dealing with this anger, which is also kind of a more negative emotion. And it's very useful for her. But at the same time, it can be very destructive, as we have already seen. So it's just that concept of balancing emotions and not losing sight of some of the more positive emotions, like looking at your kids and remembering, okay, but they have this other intelligence that can contribute things that I might not understand, or I might not be aware of, or this other point of view that could change this discussion could help in this situation. And then also not letting your emotions completely control you when you're making logical decisions. Mine kind of ties in with yours. Mine is not making sure that you talk to children like they're adults, but more actually listening to children when they speak. Because if the adults in this chapter would have listened to the children, they could have found out about Tris doing the lightning. They could have found out about the earring that led to the great mage. They could have learned all this information if they would have just stopped and listened. I know that they're trying to protect the children, But the children almost died. And if it weren't for Tris, they would have died. And they don't know that because they don't want to listen. I feel like I need to 
use this as an example to listen to my own child more often because sometimes I just dismiss some of the things she says. Like, uh, you're a kid. You're only four. You don't know what you're talking about. You're just a child. I think it's very easy for adults to do that. I guess the first step is having that recognition of sometimes there are times when we dismiss kids and they have really important things to say. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes they notice stuff that we overlook. And I think part of it is, I know Indy has said before, like kids feel a lot. Anybody who's dealt with small children have had the experience of the tattling, the being upset about things that really aren't that important. So and so has my blue crayon or or my hair isn't long enough. Make my hair longer. My braid isn't going over my shoulder. And I think that because with us having had more experience with the world, we recognize that those problems are silly. And so I think the difficulty that adults have is sometimes they overgeneralize that and just sort of, oh, well, she's four. So all of her problems are silly or even they're 16. So all of their problems, they're still in high school. So all of their problems are silly. I remember when I graduated from high school, I felt like that was the first time that adults treated me like an adult. And I was like, literally nothing has changed. I am the exact same person I was two days ago, but everyone looks at me differently because I have this piece of paper. I think I need to start carrying my piece of paper with me because since I look like a teenager still, I still get treated like a child a lot of times. I know when I first had Malia, people would look at me like, oh, look at this kid having a kid. Bitch, I'm 20 something years old. It's okay if I have a kid. I'm not a teenager. It's okay. When my students are frustrated with high school and kind of want to quit, I'm like, look, the reason that you should graduate high school is because adults will treat you differently. And it is stupid because high school doesn't really mean that you're any more or less intelligent, but they will treat you that way. Get through high school. And then what you want to do after that may still affect the way people treat you, but it's going to do that less. And if you graduate from high school and you're like, I don't want to go to college. And then 10 years later, you're like, you know what? I do want to go to college. That's fine. You can still do that, but you can't with high school. The the way that my dad was treated and the way his sister was treated was so vastly different. She graduated And then she went to college to become a teacher. But dad got his GED and he went to construction. And my dad has a lot of faults. Being unintelligent is not one of them. Dad is crazy street smart. He genuinely understands how the world works. Seeing that growing up was really frustrating because... Dad is a construction. Doesn't seem like an important job. That seems like something that stupid people do. My dad is crazy good at math. You don't realize how much geometry you need in order to build a building. If you are off by even a few centimeters, you've completely destroyed the whole building. Structurally, it is unsound. I think there's a lot of stuff like that that connects to the education you have and what kind of education you have and the way people judge you. When I was in college, 
my senior level honors course. The teacher went around on the first day and basically told all of us that we were going to fail at life because we had chosen the wrong major. I think about that sometimes. I majored in English, creative writing specifically, and my sister majored in theater. My brother majored in mechanical engineering. Just looking from those majors, he's the one who would get the most respect. But since we've graduated, my sister has moved to Australia and started a theater company. I have traveled all over the world and my, my brother works at Walmart. And the best part about that is if I tell you that, if I say I'm a teacher, I have a degree from a European school. My sister lives in Australia and started a theater company and my brother works at Walmart. Well, now it sounds like the reverse. Sister and I are much more respectable than my brother. My brother works his job because he likes it and it works for him. He's introverted and his job allows him to work from home and it gives him hours that work for him. And as a result, it's an appropriate job for him. And he went into mechanical engineering because he was good at it. But I think somewhere along the line realized he wasn't particularly interested in that. Whereas my sister went into theater, despite the fact that people say like, oh, well, you're not going to be able to do anything with theater. Then she started a theater company. Prejudice based on education is bullshit. I mean, prejudice in general is bullshit. It really is what you decide to do with getting a degree doesn't mean much if you don't do anything. And working at Walmart doesn't change the fact that my brother is one of the smartest people I've ever met. He just doesn't want to like. My personal magic is to rely on your friends. I know that I often try to do things by myself and not reach out for help when I need it. But I know that I have friends around me that care about me and that are willing to help me. And I can trust them to be there. I, I don't always have to struggle through things on my own. And it, it makes me think of Triss running off on her own to the wall to hurl lightning at the ships. She needed her friends to be able to help her with that. And they were there. And they're the ones that allowed her to do what she did. You know, she, she couldn't have done that by herself. And I have to remember that sometimes it is hard to reach out sometimes. Uh, but there's no shame in asking for help. I mean, I guess if you're nice, you have friends. You can find people to help you out when you need it. Can I add to that? When she's running to the wall, it says she walked quickly. Her friends might just follow. So even though she goes on her own, I think she has a strong feeling that they're going to come. She trusts them enough that she's like, okay, I'm not going to be on my own for long. They are going to come and help me. Which is kind of cool, just the strength of that friendship. She knows that they're going to be there for her. And they've been through a lot. It's just cool to see that trust. Mine is very similar. It's sticking together to trust other people. Otherwise, if you stand together, you're stronger than if you are alone. So a trust and sticking together. And sometimes I forget and I just kind of do and deal with stuff on my own and it's not it's not easy to just be by yourself and do stuff on your own you have to have that support system otherwise you're going to fail you might be able to get it done but at what cost without a support system it's almost pointless if you win or not and I kind of forget that sometimes that 
I actually do need support of others. Otherwise, I go nuts and fail at whatever I do and then get frustrated and don't talk to anybody about it because I'm frustrated and then it's a never-ending cycle of just, I have to do it on my own in order to be like, yeah, I can do this thing. Does mean it's excerpt time? <laughs> yes. yes. I think so. This is an excerpt from chapter 13 of Triss's book. On the third day, when she was up and around, Triss found Rosethorn minding her tomato plants. I'm busy, the dedicate said crossly, tying a stem more firmly to its supporting stake. Triss wasn't frightened by this greeting, as she would have been a week before. I'd like to ask a favor, if I may. Rosethorn tilted up her wide-brimmed hat in order to see Triss's face better. The answer is no. Triss half-smiled. Nico says he'll be in meetings here or in Summersea for a week. I want to help at the infirmaries in the afternoons until my lessons start again. They need people to fetch water and food and so on. The only way I can do that is if someone looks after Shriek. Shriek? That's what uh -huh. I'm calling him because he does. I see. Rosethorn dusted a speck from a tomato. Why the infirmaries? She asked. About to refuse to answer, Triss thought the better of it. Lark said they took the pirate wounded. It's because of me that some of them are here, so I should help out. You'll hate it, commented Rosethorn. Their smells, vomit, rotting flesh. A lot of them are burned. They won't thank you. Lark said the same. It wasn't that Triss didn't believe them. She did. It just didn't change the fact that she had to do something to lay the ghosts of the floating dead who came in her dreams. The first time in my life anybody thanked me for anything was after I came here. I'm not so used to it that I expect it from people. Rosalind adjusted a tie on a plant. Just afternoons? Tris nodded. All right. Tonight you and I will talk about what happens to Shriek. Mila, what a name. To Shriek next. He'll be ready to fly soon. Tris nodded. Well, go on. Leave him in my workshop. I'll hear him just fine when he wants to be fed. Wow, there it is. There's there's Shriek. And mm -hmm. this is why Indy herself shrieked when I gave you that word as one of the three words. Yes, this is why I made the noise I made. It all makes sense. We finally got the shriek. <laughs> the reason why I had to mute it while I cackled maniacally. <laughs> Yeah, I thought it was going to have to do something with, with you know, maybe when the pirates got blown up or something. Me too, I thought somebody was going to get got. Mm -hmm. I mean, lots of people. A lot of people not. got got. <laughs> yeah. True, true. Yes, a lot of people got got. <laughs> and I'm sure there was shrieking. It just wasn't mentioned. No, it was not mentioned. This is a slightly less violent shriek. Yes. <laughs> this is Only slightly, because starlings peck their mothers when they want to be fed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. Reading Circle Temple is produced by us, Molly, Brittany, Indy, and Goodwin. If you like listening, tell your friends about us. If you don't like listening, tell your enemies. Please tell us what you think of the Circle of Magic by emailing us at templeofreadingcircle at gmail.com. 
or join our Reading Circle Temple Facebook group. You can find more of Reading Circle Temple at readingcircletemple.com or find Reading Circle Temple on Tumblr. And thanks to Yellow is for Happy for our artwork. You can find more of their artwork on Tumblr at Yellow is for Happy Draws or on Instagram at Shannon and Draws. Also, thanks to Britain's brother, Thomas Dick, for our theme music. You can find more of his music by following Thomas Dick on SoundCloud. Thanks to Tamara Pierce for writing The Circle of Magic. And thanks to you for listening. Let's all have coffee next week. I should have said, let's do a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Missed opportunity. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at fifty to eighty percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.